Dear loved ones, dear church, you're being lied to by the world around us. It tells us lies. Now, it also tells us truths, so that means it's hard to figure it out. And what we just sang helps to center us, helps to give us a foundation. What did we sing? Jesus, you are all to us, okay? That nothing else matters what Jesus thinks. So, the world is telling us lies these days about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what marriage should be like, what kind of things ought to characterize an older and a younger man and an older and a younger woman. And so this morning I invite you to open your Bibles to Titus 2 verses 1 through 10 as we continue our series in Titus, what the true Christian should know and live by, and recognize that this is going to kind of shake us up a little bit. The reason it's going to shake us up is because we've been swimming in our culture and this comes across as odd or foreign to us. Now, there will be people who will argue, oh, that's because the culture of the Bible dictates what the Bible says. Uh uh uh. Don't, don't fall for that lie because what that does is says there's no such thing as truth and that you can craft your own reality. That's kind of the world we live in, right? If we just believe in something enough, we can achieve it. And may I say that this has devastating consequences in people's lives when they believe that lie. Let me just give one particular example. when people aren't informed about reality. So people believe, for example, that you can live any lifestyle you want and each one has an equal outcome only uh, um, limited by the effects of other people's acceptance of you rather than what you do. So, for example, people should be able to marry and divorce at will and that'll ha- that should have no consequences on how, how people thrive. You can do illicit drugs as much as you want and enjoy them and that should have no real impact on how your life is thriving or not. You can be as promiscuous as you would desire and it should have no impact only in as much as people would refuse to accept it. Bible says something different and quite often the response that the world has to the Bible's picture is to say, how judgmental the Bible is. How dare you say these things? Um, How cruel can you be even to mention that there would be something that would be harmful about these things? The hard data about 
things that result from divorce or from drug use or from sexual promiscuity are ignored because they make people feel bad. And making people feel bad is one of the worst things that you can do in our culture. It's just here, in case you think, if you're a believer in Jesus, you think, well, I'm immune from all this. It's just here that we find ourselves as slaves to our culture. Telling the truth is no longer regarded as a positive good. Rather, affirming others in their truth and applauding their pursuit of their own reality is regarded as the only way that a person can truly be loving. That's why, as we saw last week in verses 10 through 16 of Titus 1, that's why the idea of, re of rebuke, rebuke them sharply, he says, that, that sounds so foreign to our ears to hear that. And then this expands into wide swaths of both non-Christian and Christian culture. There's a person who may want to craft their own gender and to contradict that is regarded as wicked. There's the Christian who thinks that getting a divorce will make them happy and the kids will be better off because they'll be happy. And to rebuke that is judgmental and unloving. There's the Christian who always thinks that they are right and are simply unteachable. They know the truth about everything, from politics to COVID to how church ministry ought to go. They don't even recognize that they're unteachable because, well, <laughs> they're unteachable. All of these, in both the Christian and the non-Christian worlds, are examples of how this idea that we can craft our own reality has penetrated deeply into our souls. There's many more examples that I could bring up from how to raise children to how to use money to how to spend our time where our default position basically is, what kind of world do I want to craft for myself? <laughs> and then we get frustrated and even angry at anyone who challenges our attempts to build our own kingdom. Hey, you're getting in the way of my kingdom here. The Bible comes along in Titus chapter 2, I invite you to open your Bibles there. The Bible comes along and challenges these ideas straight on. In fact, we could even build the case that God hates this way of thinking and calls it idolatry. The life of the Christian is to be a crucified life, crucified to self denying self, giving up all that we have, and following Christ. The words that we are about to read, verses 1 through 10 of Titus 2, may sound horrific to some of us if we stay in our cultural bubble. I can tell you right now that there will be people who will not like them, but if we can just jump out of our bubble here for a moment, just step out of our cultural bubble, out of that lie and into the truth of knowing God, I'm convinced we'll find a joy unlike we've ever experienced. And we will get sound instruction 
into the true Christian's relationships. Would you stand for the reading of Scripture this morning? Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Uh, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Please have a seat. We begin with verse 1 and the need for sound doctrine as the prerequisite to healthy relationships. In verses 10 through 16, Paul had talked about people who were insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, and how they needed to be silenced and rebuked. But as for you now, Paul continues to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. There are all sorts of ways that all sorts of people go wrong, even in the church. And Paul is saying, but for you, Titus, here is a point of focus for your ministry. Teach what is according to the standard of sound doctrine. By now already, that standard had been established even though the New Testament was not completely finished yet. And this is a key theme of this section of Titus, the word teaching or doctrine. It's used here in verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 3, they, talking about older women, are to teach what is good. In verse 7, you will see, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. And then verse 10, that bondservants by their submission to their masters have the purpose that in everything they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior. So this idea of teaching is critical to this passage. You can't understand these verses without getting a grasp on the corpus of teaching that is found here in Paul's encouragements to Titus. Now, sometimes we think of teaching in the sense of um, like a lecture, right? Like somebody just kind of imparting, dumping information onto someone else. That's not what Paul has in mind here. Here, it's giving instruction in both the knowledge of God and in how to live. 
and there's a modeling that takes place. So teaching will include some items that will come up here that we don't typically regard as teaching, but in fact are teaching. Because the goal of the teaching is to be something. Now, think with me here. The goal of teaching is to create people who can be something. Now, I want you to take, I'm going to take you on another journey. You know, we just went through verses 1 through 10, looking at all the places where teaching and doctrine are there. Look at all the places where the words to be are there. Verse 2, older men are to be. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be. And younger women, verse 4, to love their husbands and children to be. Verse 6, likewise urge the younger men to be. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be. Verse 9, bond servants are to be. So teaching leads to people being different. This is why we need the Word of God in a cultural morass that we live in. If we don't have the Word of God, it's, we're not going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The teaching is to enable us to be something. So, let's dive in and look at verses 2 and 3, the importance of the godly examples of older men and older women. Now, you might want to ask the question, well, what's the definition of an older man and an older woman? I would say I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole, but I will tell you that within the first century, there's no specific definition given, but the idea is likely men and women whose children are adults and also they have, those adult children have children. So, it's grandparents. And that can happen at any age. I had a friend a number of years ago who at the age of 34 became a grandmother. So, I guess you can... uh, The the definition is flexible. But look at what they're to be. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded. That means, literally, it means not involved being a drunkard, uh, but it also has the general idea of clarity of mind and sober judgment. Uh, Dignified, it means they're worthy of respect, not men who are silly or frivolous. The next word, self-controlled, that's a word that's used for all the categories of people here. It's repeated over and over, so it's a big word. One might say that that's the distinguishing character that guides every kind of Christian in every kind of relationship. They have self under control. Self is under control. More on that as we make our way through this passage and meet that word again. And then sound, they are to be sound, a spiritually healthy man in three dimensions. And all of them have the definite article in the original, so it's sound in the faith, in the love, and in the steadfastness. 
That is, they have a personal faith in Jesus that is based on the truth about Jesus, that they have a love relationship with God and with others in personal relationship that is based on the truth that is known in the gospel, and they are sound in the steadfastness, that's personal commitment. Personal faith, personal relationships, personal commitment. Uh, These older men don't quit because they're old. (laughs) They're always looking for new opportunities to serve the Lord. They are ready for an adventure. They're not letting the culture dictate to them like how Howard Hendricks once described there's a lot of people that are thinking about retirement and they're, they're, they're starting to slide for home as they're rounding second base. You know, little, a tad early, right? <laughs> Sound in steadfastness. Then we come to verse 3, older women likewise. And again, children, women whose children are adults who likely have children, it's a season quite often when feelings of worth uh, or loneliness or usefulness may be in question because the ways in which they had been engaged has ch- have changed as their children have grown. But they are called to be reverent in behavior. That is, in the way they live, their outward life expresses an inner character. That what they are on the outside and what they are on the inside is the same, and it's a life of worship. Not slanderers, that is, they have control of their tongues, not gossips, not spreading information that turns out to be a lie, engaged in business that's not their own. Uh, Not slaves to much wine. Um, This is a common New Testament emphasis, by the way, which suggests that it was an issue in the early church. So, 1 Timothy 3.3, elders are called not to be a drunkard. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons likewise are called not to be addicted to much wine, the same language that's used here. Titus 1.7, talking about elders again, says not a drunkard. Uh, And here we have it again for older women, not addicted to, or not a slave to much wine. Ephesians 5 gives the general thing, doesn't it? Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. something that needs some attention and care. Uh, They are to teach what is good. So why should they be and teach these things? Well, it says, and so, verse 4, the result, to be able to train the younger women, literally to sensibilize them, to lead them in self-control to teach younger women to lead them in self-control in a whole bunch of areas that we're going to get into in a minute. Uh, So I want to ask the question, where does this kind of thing happen at East White Oak, the need for older 
women to teach younger ones. Well, just a few weeks ago, we actually had a whole set of older women who were ready to have this program where they would be teaching younger women, ask for signups, and who knows whether it's because we didn't publicize it correctly or people don't have the bandwidth or whatever, but there just was crickets. There just wasn't any, any response on the part of younger women, which I regard as that's sad because here's an opportunity to gain from the influence and in example of some older women that we need to figure out a way for that to happen. There's a lot of wisdom in this room, uh, in this church on the part of older women, and it would be wonderful for younger women to be able to learn those examples. So we're going to keep trying. We're going to back up the truck and try again. Uh, and then I also just want to add this word if you're an older woman who seeks to be involved in this process of training younger women. Um, I think, now this is just, this isn't in the scripture, so it's just Scott talking, which means it has no authority, okay, none. But I think that you gain, you gain a passport into a young woman's life when you spend more time listening than you do lecturing. That if a younger woman only gets the, you ought to da-da-da, and you ought to da-da-da, and you ought to da-da-da, it, it can easily lead to a person concluding they have no idea what my life is like. And so, if we can incorporate a little bit of just demonstration of a listening heart to hear where people are really coming from, I think we'll be able to get pulled out a little bit more of what exactly is going on. How many of you, the first time you meet someone, are ready to share your deepest secrets with them? Okay, I got one little boy over there who <laughs> accidentally rose, raised his hand at a moment when I asked a question. The fact is, none of us do that. So what needs to happen? There needs to be some time in building some relationship. So let's look at the, God, the result of godly examples for younger women, younger men, for Titus himself, and for slaves. That's verses 4 through 10. Younger women... First, they are to be taught by the older women. Notice it was not Titus's direct responsibility to teach younger women. That's not Titus's direct responsibility to do that. There is, despite our culture wanting to pretend otherwise, a great need to think very wisely about the relationships between men and women. We live in an age today where people think men, women, no differences, they can just all be equals in friendships and everything else. And I just want to say, that's crazy. Men and women, now this is a revolutionary statement to make in our culture, men and women are different. And when men and women spend time together, as innocent and as wonderful as it could be, 
it also can lead to not so innocent things. So it's not Titus's job here, it's the older women to teach the younger ones. And um, what are they to teach? Uh, first thing, they are to teach, this is verse 4, train the young women to love their husbands and children. At first you go, what? In fact, some younger women may be sitting here in this uh, uh, worship center going, <clears throat> nobody needs to teach me how to love my husband, and certainly nobody can teach me how to love my kids. I know exactly what I'm doing, thank you very much, and I don't need some old lady telling me how to do it, right? Um, it's not about training young women to love their husbands and children as much as training them in how to do that. Learning from the examples of both success and failures of women who've maybe gone a few laps around the track ahead of you. They've learned some things that you might be able just by hearing them avoid some disasters and also get a few ideas in how to approach things. The idea isn't that you don't know how to love your husband or your children. It may be that they can help you better know how to do that. And then they are to train younger women in these five other characteristics um, to be self-controlled, um, that's in verse 5 now, to be self-controlled. There's that word again, self-controlled. Uh, pure, pure in thinking, pure in terms of morality, pure in the issues of comparison. Uh, there's a there's often a huge problem that younger women have of comparing themselves with others, and this is where social media can be so devastating because you look at everybody else's life, and it's all wonderful. You know, it's all, man, how can they have such a great life and my life just stinks, you know? But being able to have an older woman say, no, let's, let's think about how we grow in, in purity here. It's not just about morality, by the way. It's uh, lots of other ways. Uh, the next one is working at home. Now, <clears throat> in prior generations, this, I think, was taught wrongly, uh, the idea that women should only be working at home. Uh, look with me there at verse 5. Is the word only in there? I don't see the word only in there, so I don't think that's what it's being talked about. In fact, if you read Proverbs 31 carefully, you would see that the Proverbs 31 woman is doing all kinds of stuff outside the home. It's not what's being talked about here. Rather, older women are teaching younger women in knowing how to keep it all organized and together. It, any younger women have, a pro, have some difficulties figuring out how to do, juggle all those balls? There might be some counsel that an older woman can help you with that. 
some time savers, some practical ways of how do you get into the Word when child number one wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and child number two stays up till 2 a.m.? How do you do that, you see? Working at home. Growth in figuring out how to make a home. The next word is kind, teaching, training in kindness, not jaundiced or frustrated. It's very easy in this world when the world tells us, and social media comparison of others tells us, everybody else has their act together and it's all wonderful, and your life is just really horrible and the roof leaks and your washing machine doesn't work and, you know, all of that. And you're, you, it's, it's very easy to get jaundiced and frustrated. Older women are to teach younger women how to handle that when things don't go so well. I don't know if you've ever met any of the really seasoned women in our church. I'll call them that. You should ask them. What are some of the hard things you've been through in life? And you know what they'll do? They'll, oh, well, I had this happen and that. And they kind of talk, like, yeah, that happened. They're horrible things. A book should be written about it. But you know what they universally say? I've never had an older woman in our church say, say anything other than, and I didn't let that define me. I have Jesus. That's gold. That's gold. Um, <clears throat> submissive to their own husbands. Oof. Uh, this is controversial even in Christian circles today, isn't it? It seems everybody wants to take Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and make that be the operating principle and that this really doesn't mean anything. Sub wives submit to husbands. Which seems to me to um, fly in the face of not just a, a little pebble here and there in the Bible, but you're trying to dodge an avalanche. Uh, for example, there's the identical phrase in 1 Peter 3. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Or Ephesians 5, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Colossians 3, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You know, it just seems like you're dodging an avalanche there. But let me tell you first what I'm not talking about and what the Bible is not talking about when it says submit to your husbands. First, have you ever noticed how when you come to a passage of Scripture and, you know, you really don't want to be convicted, but you see somebody across the way, oh, that would be good for them. I hope they're listening. You know? This happens all the time with these texts on submission. Husbands look at them and they go, oh yeah, preach it, Pastor Scott, that's really good. Let me tell you guys, the Bible 
and Pastor Scott right now are not talking to you. Not talking to you. This is not for men. Um, subordination is not inferiority. It is not accepting abuse. It is not losing one's self-identity to a tyrannical man who wants to control your life. It does not mean obey. What it is is seeking to walk in harmony and subordination to the loving efforts of a husband to serve the Lord. It is accepting that God has ordained relationships and roles of husband and wife, recognizing that each role is distinct, not the same. The only way that this can be successful is if the wife truly loves her husband, trusts him, and he is self-controlled to serve her like Christ gave himself up for the church. Any man who trots out the you should submit to me card has already lost. Men, it is not your job to say that, say that to your wives. If you do, there's something seriously wrong with your Christianity. You, by your self-control, earn her love and respect so that she gladly responds to you with a readiness to serve you and your family. So that's what it doesn't mean. But let me tell you that the, being able to love and respect one's husband is actually controversial today, even in Christian circles. Let me show you a picture. This is from my alumni magazine of Grace Seminary. They got a new president. This is him and his wife who's looking adoringly at him. This got posted on Twitter where, you know, if you say red is a nice color, there'll be people who will accuse you of either being a communist or a radical Republican, right? I mean, they're just, everything's a controversy, right, on Twitter. Believe it or not, that picture was controversial on Twitter by scores of Christian women who were saying, how dare they post a picture of the dutiful wife looking happily and adoringly at her husband? It's just a picture of people that love each other, and yet it's a controversy. Now, some of us, I would call it generational. There'd be some people in this generation that are listening to me that go, yeah, Scott, that's so stupid, I can't believe it. And there's others of a younger generation who would go, Scott, you're an old guy. By the way, I happen to know uh, the gal's family. Uh, her grandfather married Carol and me, and her great-grandfather married Carol's parents. And I know her mom and dad, and she's anything but like this dutiful, no-intelligence woman anything but that, okay? But people pick up on an image and they run with it within their own worldview that may I submit to you, the culture has inculcated, not the Bible.
Now, the purpose of women possessing these seven qualities, look at it there, uh, verse verse 5, is so that the word of God may not be maligned or reviled. No one would blaspheme the word of God. When women who call themselves Christians fail in these characteristics, the word of God is blasphemed. It is thought of as irrelevant at best and hopelessly out of date at average and actually harmful and evil at worst. Next, we have younger men. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Um, you might say at this point, wait, wait, wait a minute here. Younger women get seven things that they're to be, and men get one? How, how do you get that? See, the Bible's hopelessly male-dominating and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> no, no, no. I'm going to suggest the reason why there's so much detail for young, younger women and not so much detail for younger men. The reason is that women can think about more than one thing at once, and men need to be able to focus on one thing. It's true, isn't it? I mean, you can tell women a whole bunch of things and they can keep them all together and figure out and intertwine them and see how they interrelate. It's beautiful. A man needs to be able to say, okay, tell me one thing. I won't remember anything else. Self-control. Here we want to talk about this self-control. It's the same word that's used for women and, uh, and for older men. It means... Living for the Lord and for others, not yourself. Self-control in how you spend your money. You know, when men make financial mistakes, they tend to make big ones. Self-control in one's temper. Self-control in sexuality. I don't need to tell you the issues with pornography and the rest, do I? Self-control. Self-control in time well spent. One wonders literally how many millions of hours are being spent by young males on video games. Self-control in communication. That is, communication both of a positive nature, speaking up where they don't speak, okay? You know, a wife was trying to pull out a guy and he, well, how are you doing? Fine. Oh, they're changing the channel or clicking at their phone. No, self-control in being able to put it all away, boom, boom, right there, eye to eye. Let's talk, let's communicate, let's be with each other. Self-control in spiritual disciplines. I wonder if we took a poll of younger men here in our church and say, how many times this week did you open your Bible and read it? I wonder if we would not be shocked by the answer. How many times this week did you sit down with your wife and pray with her out loud? other than Lord bless the bunch that munched this lunch, right? 
Younger men are urged to be self-controlled. Titus himself is to be a model of good works. Let his life show the reality of what he believes. So it says there in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech. That is, healthy words that can't be spoken against. There are people who will be opponents to the gospel. And Timothy is to have a life and to have teaching in such a way that any opponents would be put to shame by it, having nothing evil to say about those who adorn Christianity in this way. Slaves, verse 9, bond servants. I shared a little bit more about first century slavery. It's similarities and differences to chattel slavery that we had in this country in my messages in 1 Timothy, so I leave you with that. The point is that the New Testament does not uh, promote a slave rebellion, even though slavery is an evil. It rather tells slaves to be good slaves. And did you know why Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire? It was because slaves did verses 9 and 10. They lived an example They obeyed their masters. They didn't cheat them. They didn't steal from them. And everybody's like, what is going on? And they hear from their slaves the good news about Jesus. And so master and slave went to church together. Um, A number of years ago, I was at a Luis Palau event in Washington, D.C. And I met the number three guy uh, politically in communist China. And he was there to attend the Luis Palau event. I said, what, what are you doing here? He says, well, I want to learn more about Christianity. I said, why? He says, well, the best workers we have in our country are Christians. They don't cheat or steal. We're not Christians. I'm an atheist, but I want to know why. Interesting, huh? It's still true, folks. Bond servants to be submissive to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. We live in an age where people want to argue and fight. Christianity is the opposite. Well-pleasing, showing all good faith, not pilfering, so that in everything they're wearing the clothes of the doctrine of God our Savior. That when they see a Christian, they go, there's somebody who's dressed in the gospel. They look like Jesus. So let's think about three applications. The reason for opening ourselves to the gospel, changing our character, is to make the gospel attractive to others. Look at the so that's in this text. Verse 4 Older women teach what's good so that they can train the younger women to solidify discipleship of the next generation. Verse 6, young men are to be self, uh, excuse me, um, let me get, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry, that younger women are to be submissive to their own husbands, pure, working at home, kind, etc., that the word of God may not be reviled or blasphemed to keep the word of God from being blasphemed. Verse 8, so that opponents would have nothing evil to say about us. Verse 10, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
to make the gospel look as beautiful as it really is? In what ways, this is a convicting question I asked myself this week, I ask it to you. In what ways has the gospel changed you lately? I'm not asking what ways did it change you a year ago? What way did it change you 30 years ago? I'm asking you in what ways is the gospel changing you lately? We're in a process of transformation. Let's adorn that gospel. Second application. If the teaching here this morning sounds strange to you, it could be that you haven't embraced the gospel and that you're so much a part of your own culture that you can't, you can't really handle this teaching. <laughs> Let me tell you something that's just kind of a preface to this teaching. The gospel is not about your rights. The gospel is not about your privileges. The gospel is about recognizing your sinfulness and surrendering your life to Jesus. That's the gospel. Surrendering first to Jesus, who, by the way, will not make everything pink hearts and unicorns for you. Last application. Try as you might, you cannot craft your own reality. If you try, you will end up being a frustrated old man or old woman. Get out of the bubble of your own culture. Read the Bible and ask God to conform your heart into the image of His Son. Only then will you embrace with joy what the Bible has taught you today. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for this teaching though it is very countercultural, I pray that you would help us to see that the gospel changes us every day. Help us to be ever on that upward path of allowing you to change us. I pray that those who've never put their faith and hope in Jesus would do that, that they would surrender to Jesus, that they would recognize that it's not about their rights, their privileges, it's about surrender to Christ and that they would ask him to forgive them of their sin by what he did at the cross. And then you would open their eyes and ears to a vista of joy. And then, Lord, help us to read our Bibles and to ask you to shape us to be more like Jesus. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.